Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Today we're going to be talking about callings, about the plans that God has for your life, and about not just being content with day-to-day life, with church as a routine and as an obligation. And just as Pastor Sherman shared, I just want to honor him in the commitment that he's made in that He's serving in the capacity that God created him. And it's a beautiful, wonderful, precious, amazing thing watching the Word of God and listening on, on, watching on YouTube and listening on Sermon Audio and all those different uh, resources to the way that you faithfully preach the Word of God. And I hope that you understand how much this man loves you and how much he sacrifices. It's, I know that sometimes the pastor position, from, from your view, can look like a one-day-a-week job and look pretty sweet. <laughs> but let me assure you that I cannot think of a profession that is more, goes through as much emotional turmoil. And there's so much. So I just want to honor Pastor Sherman and, and the, the, the load that he bears for you guys. I hope you understand how much he loves you. I hope you understand I love you too. And I hope that that doesn't sound like a tripe thing. I hope that doesn't sound like just Christianese, like, you know, I love the brethren. You know, I want you to know that I, I look forward to and I, I see it as a precious thing to be able to come and to speak to you guys, to minister to you guys. I hope you know that I'm prayerful about this and that I, I treat it as a very honoring and very, like I said, just very precious. So with that, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. God, to do the job that I can't do. To speak the truth that needs to be spoken, God. To stir hearts in a way that need to be stirred. To motivate us out of our comfortable Christian routine into life abundantly, God. And so we surrender to you. We honor you. We worship you. And we ask Jesus that you would come and that you would reveal yourself to us in a way that we've never seen before. We know that you are the way. We know that you are the truth. We pray that today we would take hold of your life that you give us. That you would not just be the way and the truth and the life, but you would be my way and my truth and my life. That each one of us would cling on to you more tenaciously when we leave this place than when we came in. That we would be changed and transformed out of our comfort zones into the life that you've called us to. Into the works that you've called us, that you've predestined before even our creation, God, that you made us for. Help us to see the intimacy of your love for us this morning in amazing and powerful new ways. And help us, God, to have hearts that are surrendered and that are willing to step out in faith and to trust you for the transformational work that only you can do. So we honor you and we worship you this morning. And I ask, God, that you would use me to be able to proclaim your truth and your love and your glory. God, that I would be your servant this morning. In Jesus' name. God is so good. So how many people here are living? Just uh, I'm taking a survey really quick. We've got one. Zombie apocalypse happening right now. Pretty creepy. <laughs> how many of you are living? How many of you will be living after your next cup of coffee? <laughs> right? I think sometimes we settle into this routine of life where it just becomes so mundane. I think the older you get, the more mundane 
and rote life becomes. It becomes this habitual process of getting out of bed, turning on the coffee maker, and going into doing that life routine. And then every once in a while we mix it up with Saturday and Sunday. But even Sunday, in its uniqueness, becomes routine. I think about the Scriptures. I think about just the nearness of God that we take for granted every single day. Did you know that this morning when you woke up, that you were one day closer to eternity? You were one day closer to the day that you're going to embrace Jesus Christ in the flesh, like physically, like be there and worship Him in person. And it's going to be so amazing and so beautiful, my mind can't even grasp it. Because that's what this is about. That's what this is about. I don't know what you guys signed up for me, but for me, Christianity is about Christ. For me, Christianity is about Jesus Christ. And if heaven is the most wonderful, beautiful day spa that has every amenity you could possibly imagine, but does not have Jesus Christ, I don't want it. To me, heaven and joy and Jesus and life are synonymous terms. And I want to take more of that. I want to share that with you guys. I want you guys to embrace that to where you understand that Jesus Christ is not just being poetic when He says, I want you to have life more abundantly. He's not just trying to to do a nice buzzword so that all the Hebrews will hashtag it. That's not what's going on. He wants you to understand the difference between this thing that we call living and what He designed for us. So we pray, God, that you would teach us to number our days and that you give us a heart full of wisdom. Lord, help us to disregard our cultural understandings of what life is and what's important and instead to take on your priorities and your heart. So I ask you again, just as I asked you before, are you alive? Let me ask you another question. Do you live life more abundantly today than you did yesterday? In view of eternity, which you're one day closer to, do you live life more abundantly today than you did this time last year? I've had the honor and the privilege of being able to speak to you guys two years in a row now around the same time. And it's this beautiful period in January where people take a a, a time to self-reflect. Where we're just between the, the part where you're motivated to do new things and your New Year's resolution steam is running out and you're like right at that point, right? Where you're like, hey, good news, I finished my six-month diet early, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And so I pray that we can use this time to reevaluate our life and to look at are we living our lives based on the principles that the Word of God tells us? Not just so that we can be like good Christians and like look great, so there is that. No, uh, <laughs> but so that we can have life more abundantly. I was sharing with Pastor Sherman earlier when I was praying for you guys. I feel deeply in my spirit when I was praying for you guys that you guys are at the cusp of something great. As individuals and especially as a church, but we were talking about it earlier. Like I just saw this, this image of like Pastor Sherman with every great sermon is just cranking the catapult more and more and more and more. And it's just this momentum that's building. And it's getting ready to release. I pray that that momentum is God's Holy Spirit propelling you into life. 
into something greater than our Sunday routines, into life abundantly. Perhaps you've heard the parable of the sleeping teenager. No, that one's not in your Bible? The parable of the sleeping teenager? Let me, let me tell you, it goes a little bit something like this. And those of you who have teenage kids, you probably understand this. The bus is coming around the corner and you're still in bed. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> right? Have you guys ever tried to wake a sleeping teenager? <laughs> it's so dangerous. <laughs> it's so scary. <laughs> I apologize for my voice, by the way. I've been, going, I've been um, overcoming this cold. And uh, first service, we got pretty excited. It was, I'm not going to lie. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> And uh, so if I sound more manly than normal, that's why. <laughs> so sleeping teenagers go like this. You say, you have 30 minutes to wake up. And you hear, right? And then you come back. You say, you have 20 minutes before you have to be like dressed and functional. And you hear, right? And then it's time. And they're still in bed. And you're like, what are you doing? How could this possibly be? I think a parallel to this, if we look at Mark chapter 4, it says, But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. And it proves unfruitful. You see, it's easy to see where a teenager's comfort lies. But they cling to those covers that are so warm. Especially on a cold day like this morning where you just don't want to get out of bed. I mean, maybe you have tile like me and you step out on there. You're like, nope, it's a stay in bed day, right? That is not happening. That tile is too cold, right? But where is your comfort? Maybe your comfort zone is in the tempo of the worship. If it gets too quick, you get a little uncomfortable. Maybe your comfort zone is in the community that you're serving in. And if you, have, if you get called into somewhere where you have to lock your doors while you're driving, that's uncomfortable. Maybe your comfort zone, just like that sleeping teenager, is somewhere where God desperately wants to use you. You're too afraid of the discomfort of going there. What if they think differently? What if they talk differently? What if it's dangerous? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? All these what ifs. What if I'm not as comfortable there as I am here? Let me tell you that faith and comfort are rarely good friends. They're rarely good friends. And often, a step of faith requires a surrender of comfort that we're often unwilling to give. So if you're in a place where you feel like you're unfruitful in your Christian life, I would encourage you, if, you're not, if your life is not characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. If you're not a person that is known for your love and your joy and your patience and peace and faithfulness and goodness and gentleness and kindness and self-control, like me, maybe we need to look at what is holding us back. And whether it's the, the deceitfulness of riches or whether it's other things that are entering in. Like the passage says there, this may be a little bit of a surprise to you, but we live in what's predominantly a very selfish culture. <laughs> Is anyone surprised by that? We live in a very selfish culture. I was raised on the medicine of self-esteem. I was raised on the idea that there can be no greater virtue in life than self-esteem, than to regard oneself as confident and capable and able to do anything. 
That was the mantra that my generation was quoted growing up. You can do anything. You can do anything. You can do anything. You can do anything. You're special, just like everyone else, right? And it becomes very selfish. It becomes a very self-centered existence. And then as we get older, people say, why do you act like the world revolves around you? Because that's how I grew up. That's my culture. My culture said when I was little that that's what, that's what was happening. <laughs> was that the world revolved around me. If you don't get anything else out of this sermon, let me tell you that you will never be satisfied living for yourself. And you may be in a place where you've realized that, where you've come to realize that the only lasting, sustaining joy that, that exists in your life, the only thing that seems to nourish your soul is serving and loving God and loving others and serving them. Or maybe you're still at the place where you believe that maybe if you get a little bit more money, if you have a newer car, if you have a bigger boat, if you have more game consoles or bigger TVs, maybe then you'll be a little bit happier. You can pick up any tabloid and see that that is a lie from the enemy. Riches will not bring happiness. Not in this world. They won't. They won't. And yet we persist in telling this lie as a culture that if only we can collect more things, if only we can be more ambitious, then finally we'll be happy. I firmly believe that one of the enemy's biggest strategies is he will steal from you exactly what he is promising you. If the, if the lie of the enemy comes and he says, if only you'll turn to these drugs, you'll finally have a little bit of peace. You'll finally have a little bit of control over your life. And you start to buy into that. And you start to believe that, that if you'll just, man, I, just, I need that I need that alcohol, I need that hit, I need that, that, that whatever it is to have peace. I guarantee you that that is exactly what he is stealing. And I've seen it played out so many times. Do not believe the lies of the enemy. Jesus himself said that he is a liar and that he has been a liar since the beginning. He says that when he speaks, he speaks out of his own nature, which is deception. It's like his own language. If you look at the Greek, it's this word, that's like, that's his language that he speaks, the language of lies. But Jesus, Jesus says, but whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This isn't hyperbole. This isn't a haiku. This isn't some sort of poetic prose that Jesus was being philosophical in a cafe and everyone snapped their fingers. This is truth. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Some of us in here are made come into this place, into this room with the sense that you're just barely holding on to life. I can empathize with you. Jesus can empathize with you. If you feel like you're on your last, your last attempt to try to just hold on to life and one more turn is going to dislodge your fingers, you're just trying so desperately to hold it all together. You don't want to lose control. Let me encourage you that if you surrender it to Jesus, you surrender to Jesus. You'll find new life. You'll find freedom. You'll find peace you never knew was possible. The kind of peace that alcohol can never give. The kind of peace that a big reliable paycheck every month can never give. The kind of peace that that brand new fancy shiny car can never give. 
the kind of peace you cannot find this side of eternity without Jesus. You see, the secret is that from the beginning, God created us to love and serve one another and to love Him. When God says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, He's not being a big meanie. He's not being selfish. He's saying, look, this is what will fulfill you. If you are a screwdriver, you were made for turning screws. And if you're trying to use yourself as an ice pick or as, as like a hair comb or as like some sort of um, a hammer, it's not going to work. You were made for this purpose. And this is what will fulfill you. And everything else that you try to make yourself into will only make a mess and leave you damaged. In Philippians 2, 3, it puts it this way. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition sounds like almost the bedrock of our culture. And yet this is saying that we're supposed to pursue something else. That every single action we do isn't supposed to be selfish ambition. I don't even know if that's a language I can speak without God. Let's be honest. Most of what we do goes back to us. Most of what we do, most of the conversations we have, end up circling back to about us. Somebody says, oh, I'm going through this horrible thing. Oh, yeah, I went through something just like that. Look at me, (laughs) right? And even in our attempt to comfort somebody, we scoop a whole heaping helping of selfish ambition right on top of it. But in lowliness of mind, lowliness of mind, in humility, that translates to it's not about me. Let each esteem others. Oh, wow. Esteem others. That sounds a whole lot like self-esteem, right? Sounds like the opposite of self-esteem. It seems like our culture may have misled us a little bit. Seems like maybe a whole lot of what we thought was right from the world upside down. But let each esteem others as better than himself. That's the kind of self-esteem I want. Is esteeming others, is building each other up, is encouraging other people and wanting to see their gifts and talents bloom and wanting to see them draw near to God. That is the heart of discipling. The very thing you guys have been talking about. Just like Pastor Sherman said, that's where his heart has been, has been on discipleship. This is discipleship. And it's so much more. I was in I was in Minnesota, just like Pastor Sherman said, uh, just last week, and it was delightfully horribly cold there. It was really, really cold. Um, I think when we landed on see, on Saturday afternoon, afternoon, mind you, it was two degrees. And that night it got down to negative three. It was cold. I loved it. I don't know why. I just I love cold. But <clears throat> I had the, the delight of being able to go to Bethlehem Church there in, in Minneapolis, which is, um, if you know, I remember John Piper. Uh, John Piper, his church. And the gentleman who spoke there, shared this verse. And the way that he shared it was so beautiful and so precious. And if you can capture this, it brought me to tears. If you can capture the beauty of this. So they're dealing with a really big racial issue right there. They're dealing with an issue where there's a lot of races in Minneapolis and St. Paul that don't necessarily get along together. And they, the pastor himself committed himself. He apologized and he said, I'm committed to racial unity. In this church, unicity. 
He said, I am sorry. I am sorry for the selfish mindset that I have had. I am committed to my brothers and my sisters of any color and any language. And he painted a picture like this. He said, in the strangest terms, he said, I was watching Dora the Explorer with my kids. I never understood the whole racial, ethnocentric mindset until I was watching Dora the Explorer with my kids. I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, this is the most inane show I've ever seen in my life. Dora, for like 10 minutes, is like, where's the green crayon? And all the kids are like, there, there. Where's the green crayon? And Dora must be blind. It's right there. It's not, it's like barely obscured by the bush. It's like right there next to the bush, right? And for like 10 minutes, where's the green crayon? And he's about to flip the channel. He's just like, this is, this is horrible, and I don't enjoy this at all. This is so frustrating. And he looks over at his kids, and they're like, right? They're loving it. And God whispered to him, he said, and you'll be uncomfortable for just a little bit so that your brothers and sisters could be blessed. Can you sacrifice a little bit of your culture, a little bit of your pride to welcome and to love your brothers and sisters, no matter what color, no matter what denomination, no matter what language, no matter what height, God's teaching. That's what this is saying. We don't need tolerance of the body of Christ. We need unity. We need the kind of unity that celebrates our differences and honors God with them. And so we find ourselves at a fork in the road. We find ourselves looking at two directions. We can continue on as business as usual. We can continue on with our comfortable social routine, wrapped in our warm blankets, wrapped in all of our comforts, and say, this is what I know, this is what I like, and I'm too afraid to step out in faith and trust God for anything different. Or we can embrace what God is offering and recognize that our way of thinking isn't good enough. Proverbs puts it this way, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Any guys who've ever, like, I know the way. I don't need to stop and ask for directions, right? And then, like, three circles later, right? Maybe we don't know the way. Maybe we need God to show us the way. And what I'm talking about, this calling from God, this this satisfaction, this abundant life, you will not get there without directions. Men, we will not get there without humbling ourselves and asking the God of this universe for directions. That's just how it works. There's a way, my way, which seems right, and its end is death. So how do we get there? How do we get there? Right, because I, I would argue that you guys haven't been just sitting doing nothing, right? That we as a Christian church haven't been just sitting nothing. We've had years and centuries of good sermons in this country. So why is it that spiritually speaking, if you look at the numbers, we're doing worse than we were 100 years ago? How do we get there? You see, I don't think that this is necessarily a church by church thing. I think that this is a heart by heart thing. 
This isn't something that Pastor Sherman can decide for the entire church and say, no, we will be a church that worships only God. We will be a church that puts other people before ourselves. We will be a church that honors and loves people of every race and ethnicity. He can't do that for each one of you. He can do that for his own heart. But this is something that we have to decide. This is something that you have to decide before you leave this room. If you're going to embrace God's plan for your life and live life abundantly, which may be uncomfortable and may be scary. There may be moments where you are on your knees saying, God, I have no idea what you're doing right now. But I trust you. We need to seek God and His Word and in prayer. And let me tell you that if you don't have a relationship with God, don't be confused at why He still seems so far away. Right? If you don't have a relationship with the living God, if you're not infusing yourself in His living Word, if you're not talking to Him through prayer, don't be surprised that you're so far away. If you are married to somebody and you never talk to them, don't go to the counselor and say, I just don't know why they seem so distant. <laughs> right? We, I mean, I wave every morning. <laughs> you know, right? Sometimes we even eat lunch in the same room. <laughs> God is real and He is so close, guys. And since the very beginning of time, all He has wanted, the biggest number one goal on His agenda is to have a personal relationship with you. Since the garden, the tabernacle, the law, Jesus himself on the cross, all of it has been about having a relationship, bringing you back into a relationship with God. Don't waste that. I think that before we can change our actions in a permanent way, we need to address our identity in a real way. Before we can change our actions in a permanent way, we need to change our identity in a real way. No matter how you, how much, let's say that you've got an old uh, Honda Accord. I don't care how much you dress it up, it will never be a Ferrari. Right? It's just not going to happen. You can try to replace as many parts as you want. It's not going to be a Ferrari on that chassis. Sorry. And no matter how much we try and try and try to look like we're doing the right thing and address the symptoms of this, this, this sin problem that's in our heart and this flesh nature, it's not going to change until we take on the identity of, of Jesus Christ. And we tell, until we say, I want what He wants for me, and I want to be that. You see, real, genuine actions come from real being, real identity. Not from acting. Not from to-do lists. You can try as hard as you want, but until you let God change your heart, you will not change your actions in a permanent way. And the Bible has amazing things to say about. Do you, do you know that you're created by God? Who in here knows that they're created by God? Now look, this isn't like an abstract way. This is a beautiful, beautiful, precious thing. I was, I was thinking a while back, I was thinking, God, you sure did a lot of creation in six days. You like had this creative binge where you're like, I'm going to create all the things. It's going to be awesome. And then like you took a break. What's up with that? Like, why aren't you creating anymore? You know what God told me? He said, I sure made you. My mind was blown. I'm like, you did make me. Not just like God created Adam and then I came from him eventually. The Word of God says that He knit me together in my mother's womb. That God lovingly stitched you together DNA strand by DNA strand. 
Is that not precious? Isn't that like amazing? That's who I am. I'm a liberated slave. I was once a slave to sin. You guys were once slaves to sin. What that means is that I wanted to be free and I couldn't. I couldn't escape my sinful nature without Jesus. I couldn't escape the burden of my sin without Jesus, without his sacrifice. And he set me free. In Galatians 5.1 it says, For freedom I have set you free. Don't go back into slavery. And he paints this beautiful picture of the way that people are in and of themselves and their flesh and the way that people are when they're redeemed by Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God comes in them and produces beautiful fruits. That's who I want to be. I'm an adopted child. You guys may remember a year ago, I was telling you that we have been in this adoption process for a year trying to adopt our, our daughter Elizabeth. And Today I tell you that we've been in the adoption process for two years trying to adopt my daughter Elizabeth. And we're so close. I was sharing with the worship team that we signed papers day before yesterday in Bakersfield. We're just so close. And God has shown me so much through this about how he's adopted me and how he's called me his own child. How I was once a child of darkness and in every way an enemy of God and reprehensible and dirty and objectionable to God. And that he blew all that away. He set all that aside. He paid the debt for my sin. And not only that, but he calls me his own child. You see, God wasn't in any obligation to send Jesus Christ to die for me. He could have very well just left that mess the way that it was. It wasn't his fault. He sent Jesus to die for my sin. And above that, as if that wasn't enough, that I want you to be my child. I want you to be my child. Not just in a, like, welcome to the family, here's a shirt kind of way. But in a, you can call me daddy. My little daughter calls me daddy. My little adopted daughter calls me daddy. You cannot understand how precious that is. That God allows me to call him Abba. Daddy. I'm justified by Christ. I'm no longer under the weight of my sin. Romans 8.1, right? We know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm a work in progress. Do we have any works in progress in here? Right? And Paul, Paul himself, who wrote most of the New Testament, says, I'm a work in progress, right? He says, we have this promise that he who began a good work in you will be faithful in Christ Jesus to complete it, right? We have this promise that we are God's workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works, prepared beforehand. Did you know that you're a masterpiece? I don't need self-esteem because I have God saying that my identity is to be a masterpiece created by the best artist ever. That's amazing. When you start to realize this identity, not just in your heart, or not just in your head, but in your heart and in your soul, it changes who you are. When you let God wash away all the, t- all the taint of the world and renew your mind every single day in that, it starts to change your being and that starts to change your actions and your perspectives, and your attitudes. I know that I'm secure in God's love. Do you guys know that you are secure in God's love? Just thing. To be secure in the love of the God of this universe. We know 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He was so overcome by his love for the world that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins so that we wouldn't perish in sin, right? But we know that Romans 8.39 says that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Not height or depth or angels or demons, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. That there's no power that's more powerful than the love of God. I love, as, as, as a, a dad and as a husband, I love to think that I'm the protector of my family, and I am. If you mess with my family, get ready, because it's going to come, and it's not going to be pretty. But there are limits to my protection. There are limits to my ability to protect my family. And God is saying in this passage, there is no limit to the power of my love for you. That there is nothing more powerful than the love that I have for you. It's my daddy. And so I would encourage you to not just change your identity, but to understand the calling that God's put on your life. Does anyone know how they can find the general calling that God has in your life? Because there's a general calling for all of us, right? If only there was like an instruction book or something, right? Oh, that'd be useful. Oh yeah, the Bible, right? And so by spending time in the Bible, you can see God's plans for you. You can see how you were made to fit together in the body of Christ. You can see what commandments He's given you, not for the sake of being an authoritarian meanie, but for the sake of being a loving father saying, don't play in the street, it's bad for you. (laughs) Right? And so with Blue Letter Bible, we've got this amazing resource that I would encourage you to, to find and to, if you don't already have a devotion, walk through this. It goes through scripture by scripture who God is and who we are. And it's beautiful. It looks at how God is, is love and that we are loved by God. That God is spirit and that we are forgiven. That God is the Holy One. And that we are to be confessing the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. Each one of these is so deep. If you'll just dig into it, like even Yahweh. Do you guys know how precious and beautiful and powerful the name Yahweh is? Do you guys know how much the Hebrew scribes regarded this, this, this name Yahweh when they would copy the Old Testament scrolls? When they would come to the word, and in your Bible you'll see it as Lord, usually in capitals, capital L-O-R-D. You guys ever seen that? You guys know how that's different than Little Lord, than L-O-R-D, or capital L-O-R-D? That capital L-O-R-D is the name of God, Yahweh. And when the Hebrew scribes would come to that, when they were copying the word, they would put down the pen that they used for every other word. And they would take up specially sanctified pens. Quills that were only dedicated for, for writing the name of God. For writing the word Yahweh. They would dip it in their special ink. They would write Yahweh on the scroll. And then they would burn that pen. Wow. Now, this isn't like they can't just go down to Staples and get more pens. This is like, you've got to work hard to make all these pens, right? All these quills that they had specially sanctified pens, that quills, if you will, that were just for writing down the name of the Lord once. Dude, that's amazing. That's my daddy. Did you know that you're called to love? I hope you know that. It's pretty clear throughout the Old and New Testament that we're to be known by our love for one another. At my church, we're, we're so consumed with this idea. The Spirit has led us so, so deep into this that we made a commitment for 2016, or I'm sorry, 2017, to only teach on love for an entire year. 
starting in January, ending in December, all of my messages for the young adults, all of my lead pastor's messages to the congregation have been on the topic of love. And you'd think that eventually we'd get bored of it, right? You'd think that eventually the people would be like, can't you teach on tithing or something else? (laughs) But after an entire year teaching on love, I feel like I've just barely scratched the surface of the depth of God's call for me to love Him and to love others. I feel like I'm just barely, after an entire year of sermons on love, after an entire year of authoring sermons on love, I'm just barely starting to understand what it means to love God with all of my heart and all of my mind and all of my soul and all of my strength and to love other people as myself. I get it wrong more than I get it right. But I'm growing and I'm learning and I'm discovering and my daddy is teaching me through his word and through prayer and through that intimate relationship with him. We're called to so many beautiful things that I wish that this was what the church was known for. I wish that when people think of Christian church, they think, oh yeah, that place that has compassion, that place where everyone's humble, that place where everyone's greeting, that place where they bear one another in love, that place where they all have the mind of Christ, that place where they don't judge one another, that place that's so forgiving. That starts with us. That starts with each one of us taking seriously the calling that God has put on each one of us. There's no one that's exempt from love. There's no one who could say, I am not called to be humble. I'm not called to have compassion. None of us get that out. Every single person who proclaims Christ as their Lord is called to this. And it's a beautiful thing. This this image, by the way, comes from um, an amazing book that I picked up by Tim Chalice on visual theology. And it's a really neat primer on like what the Christian faith is all about. And they have these beautiful images that I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an image guy. I love seeing how everything fits together and seeing charts and stuff like that. So that's where that comes from. And it's just a beautiful illustration of what it's like to walk with God and what we're called to. And again, another resource from Blue Letter Bible um, is, is put on, put off. Has anyone ever see, hear, heard the, the term in the Bible, put on this, 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 and this? There's a ton of them. And so this resource, this chart... For free, you can just access on Blue Letter Bible. It, it puts together all of those put-on and put-offs. And so if you want to walk in God's calling for you, if you want to walk in what God has for you, if you want to walk in a way that pleases God, I would encourage you, just go through these one, one day at a time. Look at putting on, uh, putting on love and putting off a lack of love. Putting off disobedience and putting on obedience. Putting off discontentment and learning to be content in all circumstances. Ooh, that's cool. And it's all just right grounded in the, in the Word of God. It's just verse by verse by verse. And if anyone wants any of those links or any, any charts or anything, just let me know. I can give you the PowerPoint or we can, or we can connect and make that happen. So this, this, though, is the part that I get excited about. I get excited about all of it. But this is the part that I get the most excited about. Pastor Sherman can testify to that. God made you with a unique calling. God made you with a unique heart. So God made you to be a specific tool, a specific light that only fits in the super special Pastor Sherman light bulb or that only fits in the Jonathan worship leader light bulb or that only fits in this place or this place or this place. That God has made you to minister in a unique and powerful and and amazing way through your passions and through your skills and through the spiritual gifts that He's given you and through the resources that God has given you. And that can look different 
for every single person. Like for me, I can't cut in a straight line to save my life. Do not put me in charge of crafts for the kids. It will look horrible. You'll be like, oh, it's a, I don't know what that is. Um, but I love programming. And I, get, I, get, I love like looking at a programming problem and just spewing out lines and lines of JavaScript. And, and okay, I'll send this as an argument and with three core attributes for this, this function over here, which will pass a callback to the Ajax parameter over to here. And then that'll come back as the response code 200, which means, and like just, I love wrapping my brain around that. And then I can do that for God to make Bible study tools uh, through, through Blue Letter Bible for people to use all over the world and just like sit and watch. We have a, a little map that we can watch where like it just shows all the people using over the, all over the world, that, that's my calling, guys. That's my calling. God made me for that. And I love it. And like I, I tear up when I think about the fact that I'm, I can make an audio player that people literally listen to millions of audio messages and commentaries and the audio Bible on. Like that's so much bigger than me. I love that. And maybe that's not what you're called to, but maybe you're called to be the best borax truck driver that there ever was and to, to show God's goodness through your patience or to, to show God's goodness through the resources he's given you. I know a guy who has given millions of dollars, millions of dollars to start an organization that sends God's word all over the world. And he's so humble about it, guys. He's so humble and so overwhelmed. Like God has just... Put him in this place where he has these investment skills to make this money to fuel, to, to fuel these ministries. Maybe that's your calling. Maybe your calling is through the skills that you have, the physical skills that God has given you to be a, a guitar player or a piano player or a worship singer. Or maybe God has given you the ability, all of us, gifts through his spirit to intercede for one another, to pray for one another, to be a word of encouragement and life and light to lift up people where there's no hope. I talked with a gentleman recently who just by, by God's sheer sovereignty had like put me in his, in, I was, okay, so I was at my parents' house picking up chairs for a worship night we were going to do, right? And I was there for like five minutes. And this guy who's their neighbor like just happens to walk up right at that time and says, he just finds out that I'm a pastor. And he says, maybe God put you in my life for this moment. I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. Nice to meet you too. Uh, right? But he says, I've literally been driving from church to church to church. I've gone through four churches looking for some hope. And he was walking through something so difficult, guys. And I was just able to put my arms around him and speak words of love and encouragement and comfort and life and peace into his heart. That, I can't tell you guys that. That makes me feel fulfilled. That makes me feel fulfilled when, when Pastor Sherman comes up here and he teaches you about the Word of God and he sees that spark light up in your eyes like you get it. You're like, wow, Jesus is that big? You feel fulfilled, right? There's no cheeseburger that can fill that, that appetite. There's no car. There's no, there's no food. There's nothing on the planet other than what God has called you to that can fill that and that can give you that feeling. Let's talk about football. I know, weird transition. Let's talk about football. Did anyone see the, the game? The, the, like last Sunday, did anyone see the Minnesota Vikings game? Give some hands. Dude! This, I'm not even a football guy. Like, I know some of you are like, I am not a football person. I'm just going to wait until the next slide. Don't, don't, because I'm not a football guy either at all. But I was watching this with, like, we happened to be in Minnesota at my buddy Frank's apartment, all the Blue Letter Bible staff that, that was there at the conference, right? And we're literally less than a quarter mile from the stadium. We're just down the street. Like, I could, like, peek my head out his window and see the stadium where this game is being played, right? 
And we're watching, watching. The first half, pretty boring. Like the Vikings, Minnesota Vikings, like in, the, the, um, in Minneapolis, there, Minnesota, are just dominating, right? And then the second half, the Saints come back, and they, they bring their A game. And they, they, they not only catch up, but they overtake. And so the last quarter is constantly the Saints are up, the Vikings are up, the Saints are up, the Vikings are up. And then the Saints nail this field goal at like the last, I don't know, last like 30 seconds and, and take the lead. And you could see like the whole stadium was just like, oh. And you could see all the Vikings are just like, all the Viking players were like, dude, it's over. It's over. You see, what you don't know is that the Super Bowl is in Minneapolis, Minnesota this year. What you don't know is that in three weeks, this town is going to explode. Like, I was there at a church on Sunday morning, and they're like, we're not even bothering with church that day because nobody's going anywhere. Like, go to one of our campus churches. Don't come here to this church by the stadium because you won't make it. This whole, the whole city is gearing up for this amazing Super Bowl game in now two weeks, but it was three weeks then, right? And so the Vikings, their dream is to be in the Super Bowl at their stadium, surrounded by their fans, surrounded by the city where they live. And they missed it. They missed it. And so they, they return the ball back, right? Saints kick the ball back. Minnesota grabs it. You know, they, they down them, right? It's first in like million, right? I mean, they're just on the wrong side of the field. It's, it's not going to happen. There's like 10 seconds left. And the quarterback, Case Keenum, who, by the way, shouldn't have even been there. He's the backup quarterback, right? So the backup quarterback is looking, right? Last play of the game, 10 seconds left, 9 seconds. He sees a guy way out there, right? Who's just breaking free from cover and launches the ball, connects beautifully, runs it into the end zone, last play of the game, nails it for the Vikings, and they win. And the stands went nuts. They went absolutely crazy nuts. And I, I actually, at this point, went outside. I went outside. Because remember, we're just down the street from the stadium. And what I heard was, and the entire city just lighting up all around me, right? Hearing the, the cries of fans in a stadium on the other side of the building a quarter mile away. And hearing that giant horn that they've got there, right? This guy through the winning pass. This unknown backup quarterback through the winning pass. And when they interviewed him, this is his moment. This is his moment to market himself. This is his moment to, to seal that contract, to make sure that he gets a good contract next year and to make sure he gets his money and that he gets his fame and all that. I mean, he, he did it. He made this pass that it was like impossible. And his response is, God is so good. Says, this is probably going to be the best moment of my life behind giving my life to Jesus Christ and marrying my wife. Let me put this in perspective, guys. An entire city is cheering for this guy. He's surrounded by these fans. It was nuts. They actually needed to kick the, 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 the extra point after the touchdown, and they couldn't because the, 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 the whole field was covered in fans. The referees kept being like, guys, the game's not over. We need to kick that last point. Guys, get out of this. <laughs> right? I mean, they're going nuts. This guy, I mean, you could see him right there. He ripped off his helmet, and he looked like a little kindergartner. He's all, ah! <laughs> like just running. He didn't even know what to do with himself. His whole team was like, what just happened? We won. How did we win? Right? They're all going crazy. And this was his moment. And he shined. God. He said, God is so good. He said, this 
moment is so amazing. It's almost as good as when I gave my life to Jesus. Dude. Jesus put it this way. He says, in the same way, in the same way that we're to be the salt of the earth, let your light shine before others so that you may see, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Case kingdom gave glory to God. He shined in a way that you can't hide that. There's no basket big enough to hide that. That's like just all over the world saying God is amazing. You're called to things just like that. They may not be broadcast on national TV, but you'll know it. You'll know it when your moment comes and you're like, this is what I was made for. And like I said, maybe it's speaking a word of comfort that that keeps somebody from, from the despair that will drive them into a life of ruin. Maybe it's training up kids and and cutting out little crafts for them in the Sunday school, right? (laughs) To show them Jesus' love from an early age so they can avoid a life of making horrible, horrible choices. A life of despair and meaninglessness. I don't know what it is for you. I'm just figuring out what it is for me. And I'm like, wow, this is so cool. I want that for you guys. So this is the part where you guys take over. This is the end. This is the end of my sermon. This is the last slide, guys. And this is the part where you get to decide whether or not this is just a neat, fun message that finally talked about football, or you get to decide this was my wake-up call to say I'm done with being comfortable in bed, doing nothing. I'm ready to start living life abundantly. Let's join in prayer. God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you so much for who you called me to be. For years and years, I looked in the mirror, and all I saw was a waste of time. It was a hopeless case. But God, you saw something better. You saw something worth redeeming. You saw something that you created specifically to bring you glory and to show love to And so I pray for each person in here that when they look in the mirror on Monday morning when it's time to go back to work, when they get home and it's time to do those dishes or it's time to cook something for lunch, when they get home and they go into the normal routine of life that they would not forget that life is more than what we do. But life is who you have made us to be. So God, we surrender to you. We ask that you give us the grace and the power to live lives that please you, that are not filled with the waste of this world, but are filled with the abundance of our calling in you and that bring honor and glory to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and for your plans and for not giving up on us, for wanting more for us than we would want for ourselves. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.